you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. This morning we'll be reading Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 39. Luke 5, verses 27 through 39. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. And he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As we pray, uh, there is one more prayer request uh, that I should have brought up this morning, and Nick reminded me of it as he was praying this morning. Uh, we also need to be in prayer for the Sartain family. Um, Jada and Maya uh, went back to their grandmother this past weekend, and uh, so we need to be praying for them in their time of transition not only for Nick and Amber, but for the uh, children as well uh, as they're with their grandmother. So let me pray for that this morning. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, we know that you are a sovereign God who is in control of everything. Um, Lord, you knew that this day would come when Jada and Maya would go back to their grandmother. And uh, I pray for them as they do, uh, that this transition would be smooth. Uh, We pray for their hearts. Uh, Lord, that they would be drawn to you. I pray that you would keep them safe. Um, We pray for Nick and Amber and for Aiden and Kylie as they make this transition. Uh, We know the love that they have for these two. Um, Lord, and I pray that love would continue to grow. Um, In any way possible, Lord, I pray that they could be a part of their lives, uh, that they would see Jesus uh, through this Sartain family. Uh, Father, we commit them to you. We give them to you. And we pray that uh, you would guide, guard, and protect them throughout their lives. And Father, as we we come to your word this morning, uh, I pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth uh, will be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, when Stephanie was driving home yesterday uh, from the the ladies' retreat, she was sharing with me a little bit about what had happened and just the great time that it seems that the women had 
and uh, hearing stories also this morning about people reporting on it, um, it's incredible to know what God can do in less than 24 hours of time, um, to, to see uh, our ladies come together, to see the relationships, uh, it seems, that, that are, are flowing from this. Um, even though we meet together every Sunday, you know, we have fellowship lunch uh, once a month, uh, sometimes we need that time away where we can really get to know each other. Because it's hard for an hour on a Sunday morning or even two hours on a Sunday morning uh, to really get to know each other well, to know how we can pray for one another, as Raybel was saying. And so I'm greatly encouraged uh, about this retreat and about what God God is doing in the lives uh, of our women. And um, uh, it is encouraging to know that as we look at our passage this morning, uh, that things that... God is, is bringing to our attention through this passage are also kind of what happened this weekend in this ladies' retreat. So um, as we go through our passage this morning, uh, we get to the point where uh, Jesus is out walking. And what he does is that he sees a tax collector in his tax booth by the name of Levi, and he says to Levi two words, very simple words. He says, follow me. Levi gets up, he leaves his booth, he leaves everything behind, and he simply follows Jesus. Now, most likely Levi had a relationship with with Jesus at at this point already. He had probably heard him, he had probably seen him. Um, That doesn't take away from the fact that he simply left everything and followed Jesus. And Jesus' calling of this disciple, this Levi, should be an encouragement to each and every one of us. You see, Levi was a tax collector, and you need to know about tax collectors. Uh, These people are the scum of the earth in Jewish culture. These are the the lowest of the low. Um, You know the, the, the English story about Robin Hood. You know, he's this gallant figure who, who steals from the rich and gives back to the poor, and he's this, this local legend hero. Well, these guys are like the anti-Robin Hood. They are like, I don't know, the sheriff of Nottingham in that story that everyone despises. These are people that are, in a sense, stealing from their local people. They are stealing from their fellow Jews in order to give to the Romans. Yes, the Jews were required to give a tax to the Romans, uh, that was part of their, their tribute, you know, as being uh, under Roman rule. But uh, these tax collectors would go above and beyond. And whatever they collected above what was required by Rome, they simply pocketed. And so um, these men uh, were very much despised. They were typically kicked out of the synagogue, not allowed to be a part of Jewish culture in that regard. And so Jesus walks by this booth of a tax collector, and he says to him, follow me. Why is this encouraging? Because if God can save a man like Levi and ask him to follow him, to be one of his disciples, then there's hope for each and every one of us. Because if God can save Levi... That means there is no one who is too far gone. That there is no one who is too much of a sinner that cannot be saved. That would be like saying God isn't powerful enough to save someone. 
or that, that person is too sinful that God wouldn't even go near them. That's not the case. We serve a God who is all-powerful, that there is no one who is too far gone to be saved. So how does Levi respond to this call in, Jesus, in his life by Jesus? Well, he responds in two ways. He responds in worship and in witness. First of all, he throws a party for Jesus. He gets together his friends and he invites Jesus to this party. He is the guest of honor and it sounds like it's a great party. Um, this is his worship. This party is for Jesus to honor him. And so he gives Jesus the honor that he is due. But Levi has an ulterior motive in this party. He invites his friends because he wants his friends to know about Jesus as well. He wants his friends to witness Christ like he has witnessed Christ and to follow him as well. You know, our vision for, for our church is very similar to what Levi does here in this passage. Uh, our vision is that we might be worshipers and witnesses of Christ here in central Arkansas and to the ends of the earth. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, putting one's faith in Christ, elicits a response. Worshiping God as we were created to do and sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And Levi responds in this way and we're being called to do the same. But, as you know, not everybody approves of this party that Levi throws. The Pharisees are actually quite upset with Jesus for the company that he is keeping here at Levi's house. But you know how it is. Levi associates with the people who are similar to him. His friends are fellow tax collectors, fellow men who are despised by the rest of the Jews, fellow sinners. And so this is who he invites to his party, his friends. You know, a man in his position like Jesus shouldn't be seen fraternizing with people such as these, the Pharisees believe. But it seems that Jesus has no issue being in the presence of these people. He has no problem with it. Um, the Pharisees ask Jesus why this is the case, and he responds with his famous declaration that he didn't come for the righteous, but to save sinners, to call sinners to repentance. Just like it isn't the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. You know, we don't call up our doctor or we don't rush to the ER when we're healthy. Obviously, we go when we are sick. So I see a couple of problems in this passage. Uh, a couple of problems with us, with myself, and I think with the church in general as well. You know, if we've been Christians for any length of time, we are usually tempted to become more and more like these Pharisees. This group of people who Jesus is constantly calling out on the carpet for the things that they do and for the things that they say. So when Jesus gives his speech, you know, I have come not for the righteous, but for sinners, the Pharisees' response is, is like it would have been. Well, then you haven't come for me, is how they respond. Because they felt like they were righteous. I understand, Jesus, you probably came for people who need you. Well, I'm not sick, I'm healthy. 
I am righteous, I'm not like these sinners. So you didn't come for me. The Pharisees truly believed that they were righteous in God's sight because of all the laws that they laid out and that they followed. They thought that this was how they gained favor with God. Well, I believe that we have a personal problem. Uh, The longer that we are Christians, the easier it is for us to fall into this trap of the Pharisees. And we become more and more like them, or it is tempting to become. We elevate our own personal righteousness, and we, we get to the point where we think that we are good people. We, we, we think that we are righteous. And because we're good people, therefore God must love us, and we deserve God's favor. Aren't we special, we think? Um, but what we've forgotten was that at one time, we were... Levi. We were him. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong here. It's not that we are defined by our sin. Because when Levi was called by Jesus, he was called to leave his life of being a tax collector. In fact, he left it all completely behind. He could never go back to it. And instead of being Levi, he was changed. He became Matthew. This is the disciple Matthew who... Uh, was the, the writer of the, the first gospel that we have in our Bibles, the writer of Matthew. This is what happened in Levi's life. God changed his life through Christ. But Levi, I can assure you, didn't forget the depth of his sin, of where he came from. He didn't forget what his heart was capable of. Because if we do that, two things will happen. If he had done that, he would see Jesus as less and himself as more. And he would become judgmental to others who are not quite as righteous as he is. And I think this is one of the major problems that we're seeing in the church today. See, the problem is that it is not that we are unrighteous. In reality, we are righteous. Through Christ, we have been made Righteous through what he has done, not because of what we have done. It's an alien righteousness that we are given to us. It is Christ's, not our own, and it is a gift from God. But we've created this perception that the, that the church is a place for righteous people and not for sinners. It would be like saying that a hospital is not for sick, but for those who are well. And that's not the case. You know, we've created this perception in culture that that Christianity is a a religion of exclusion, just like the Pharisees were preaching. And you know what? It's not new. Um, It it has happened before. In in the days of William Booth, uh, if you know the name William Booth, he was the man who started the Salvation Army. And um, Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this passage, shares a story about William Booth and his... Um, his desire for his church. What William Booth noticed was that the poorest and the most degraded in society were actually never in church. It was the wealthy. It was the upper class. And this is how, uh, how Richard Collier uh, describes this. He says, The Broad Street congregation never forgot that electric Sunday in 1846. The gas jets dancing on the whitewashed wall The minister, the Reverend Samuel Dunn, seated comfortably on his plush red throne, 
a concord of voices swelling into the evening's fourth hymn, which was, Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Beautiful hymn. But the chapel's outer door suddenly shattered open, engulfing a white scarf of fog. In its wake came a shuffling, shabby contingent of men and women, wilting nervously under the stony stairs of the mill managers, the shopkeepers, and their well-dressed wives. And in their rear, a fire with zeal, marched Willful Will Booth, cannily blocking the efforts of the most reluctant to turn back. To his dismay, the Reverend Dunn saw that the young Booth was actually ushering in his charges, none of whose clothes would have raised five shillings in his own pawn shop, and he was ushering them into the very best seats, pew holders' seats, facing the pulpit. This was unprecedented for the poor. If they came to the chapel, they entered by another door to be segregated on benches without backs or cushions behind a partition which screened off the pulpit. Oblivious of the mounting atmosphere, Booth joined full-throatedly into the service. Even, he later admitted, hoping his devotion to duty might raise special commendation. But all too soon, he learned the unpalatable truth. Since the days of Wesley, Methodism had become respectable. And uh, I read that story and I wonder if our churches have become respectable. And I'm not talking about in the way that we dress, but in our attitudes. Have we become respectable? Thinking that now this is a place for not the sick, but for the healthy, the righteous. Or is this a place for sinners? When people on the outside look in on Christianity, what do they see? I think that they see people who are against things. For our stand in culture against things like gay marriage or against gun control or against big government. But what happened to making Christianity defined by what we are for? For love, for the, for the gospel, for what Christ has done for us in his death and in his resurrection. Uh, We might complain and say, you know, well, as Christians, we've just been given a bum rap. That this is just the perception, this is not what it is in reality. But the problem is, is that this is the perception that we are giving. This is what people are seeing. Whether it's true or not, this is what people perceive. They are seeing our actions and they are struggling to line it up with what we're actually saying. And they're struggling to line it up with the gospel of Jesus. And we can talk till we're blue in the face, but in the end, it's what our actions are revealing. And they reveal the true nature of our hearts. And instead of being salt and light, what we're doing as a church as a whole is that we're driving people away. So when we get this high view of ourselves, like the Pharisees forgetting what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives... Not only does it lead to problems from outside the church, but it also causes problems internally as well. There's this internal strife. Uh, when, we get, uh, when we forget the fact that we are Levi's, that God has changed into Matthew's, we begin to look down on fellow believers in their sin and struggles. You know, this past week, um, I had the opportunity to, to share with a brother Uh, some of the struggles that I've been having in my life recently. And it was just a really sweet time 
to, to share that with him and knowing that he wasn't going to judge me for it, uh, to know that he was going to embrace me even in my sin and encourage me with the gospel. And that is exactly what he did. And I, I pray that we as believers uh, would be able to be honest with each other, like what the ladies were able to do on the retreat this weekend, I, I hope and pray, uh, to honestly confess and confide in one another the, the depth of our sin. Because in reality, we are all like Levi, except for the grace of God. We are all him. How great and awesome it is to be able to confess to one another and rather than receiving condemnation, receiving the gospel of Jesus and what he has done. That he has saved us as sinners. And as Romans 1 says, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You see, the solution to our problem of becoming like the Pharisees will always be found in the gospel. It's the gospel. You know, when we were going through the book of Galatians, we defined the gospel in this way. It's the message that we are more wicked than we ever dared to believe, that we are like Levi, the scum of the earth, but we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared to hope. And it's not because of anything that we have done. It is because of Christ, because of his life and his death and his resurrection. So we need to understand our own sinfulness. And we need to turn to Jesus with our whole lives, just like Levi did. He turns to Jesus in worship and in witness. And uh, as the parable that Jesus shares at the end here, Levi realized that you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. You can't put a new garment and attach it uh, to an old one because it's going to stretch and it's going to tear. It's going to burst the wineskins. You cannot add Jesus to your current life and expect everything to be the same. You can't keep living your life in the same way and simply add Jesus to it as another component. No, Jesus takes over. He takes over complete control. He is calling us to do what Levi did and what Peter did before him, to leave everything and to follow him. And we need to accept the diagnosis that Jesus gives us through the gospel, that we are sick. That we are sick. That we are sinful and we are in need of Jesus' healing touch. Through his death and his resurrection, Christ has healed us in our sin. And our sin no longer defines us. We are no longer Levi. We have left that behind. Instead, we are Matthew. We are followers of Christ. We are sons and daughters of the King. But that change isn't our doing. It is Christ. You know, no, no patient performs surgery on themselves. You know, Stephanie's dad is an anesthesiologist. He knocks people out. And then the surgeon goes to work on them. We don't do the surgery on ourselves. Christ has done it for us. Christ is the great physician and he has rescued us in our sin. And when we perceive ourselves rightly, knowing that we are sinners saved by grace, 
Others will see the church as a place of mercy and of love and not of judgment and of condemnation. They'll see us that we are a group of sinners who are saved by grace and will lead us to honest relationships with one another as well. What it also does is that it leads us to the table. This morning we have the opportunity to, to participate and to celebrate the sacrament of communion, this Lord's Supper. We get the chance to celebrate what Christ has done for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he has called us as Levi's and he has turned us into Matthews, into disciples of Christ. You know, the focus on this Lord's Supper is the Lord. It is his supper. Um, We will spend time, yes, confessing our sin because that is necessary as we approach the table. But then the focus turns completely and utterly not on ourselves, but on Him and on what He has done. The celebration and our full attention is on Him. But as I said, first we must accept Jesus' diagnosis. We are sinners and we need this table. This communion is necessary for us. His death and His resurrection are necessary. So we will come uh, confessing our sins, confessing the fact that we are Levi, that God has changed into Matthew. As we do, if you would, please grab your hymnal. Um, The title of this sermon is Jesus, Friend of Sinners, and he certainly is a friend of sinners. I have lost my bulletin, and so I do not know what number this is. 99. (laughs) Let's stand and sing number 99. Jesus, what a friend of sinners.